The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And maybe I'll show the folks online. We have some folks back in the building for the first time in three years. We haven't, I mean, we've had programs in the building, but we haven't had the Loving Kindness program in the building since March of, when it, what was it, 2020 or 2019 when the pandemic started? 20? Yeah, so 2020, so three years. That was three years ago, right? <laughs> anyway, it's nice to be back in person and happy to have the 24 folks online joining in and we'll keep doing it this way, Stacy McClendon and I. Um, as far as we know, forever, until we're not here, but somebody else hopefully will continue. Because it's such a wonderful thing for folks to gather any night, but especially in some ways a Friday night, which tends to be the night, you know, that we go do fun things. But it's just great that we think coming together and, you know, the training, the, instead of having my attention on things that trigger my aversion and my greed and my rage and my pride and my self-righteousness, the training is what can I keep in mind or when I keep what in mind, does this natural, uncontrived goodness of heart, kindness, loving kindness, whatever we call it, what when I keep what in mind, do I recognize this capacity for an uncontrived goodness? And then once we find our way back, once we know how to remember, recognize, arouse, then it's just a matter of keeping it in mind. How can we keep loving kindness in mind? And the thing we learn, and we'll, you know, we'll do it together in about five or 10 minutes, but just a few beginning comments, What we find with wholesome qualities like that uncontrived goodness of our heart is that when it's kept in mind, it gets stronger. Because there's a natural feedback mechanism, and knowing this will help you recognize it. That quality of loving kindness, or whatever you want to call it, basic goodness, love, that quality feels good. Just like the opposite, being aversive, being angry, feels tight and contracted, the actual state or mental quality or attitude of love has a good feeling associated with it. It's trustworthy, it feels good. So when we keep it in mind, we're going to notice the good feeling. And the good feeling is going to make it easier to keep in mind which means the good feeling will be even more obvious, which makes it easier to keep in mind. You see, it's building this feedback mechanism. And that's why after, with some momentum, like maybe even in this sit we'll do in a a few moments, in moments you might get some real momentum, some continuity. So in those moments where there's some continuity, that means that regardless of whatever else is arising 
showing up in terms of thought or body sensations or sounds. The mind is relating to the present moment with kindness. So you don't have to keeping kindness in mind. Remember, kindness is a way of relating. And I could be relating to my breath, I could be relating to my body, I could be relating to the sense of the totality of the present moment, the whole world. So it really doesn't matter what else is showing up in the moment because we can relate to that in a kind way. Even now, listening to me talk, we could either be relating in an irritated, reactive, judgmental, critical way, or we can be relating in a kind way. Oh, well, Mark's trying to do the best he can, you know, or whatever. You know, I'm trying to do the best I can to understand what the heck he's saying. But it is possible, I mean, we at least want to hold this out, it is possible to be relating with kindness no matter the conditions of our life in a given moment. There's always a way, just like there's always a way to be irritated (laughs) and frustrated and angry and reactive, there's always a way to be kind and loving and forgiving and patient, you know, all the different flavors that love can take. And initially we take that on faith, like, is that really true? And then we go check it out in our life and then in our, in our formal loving-kindness meditation practice life. And you'll see that, you know, when we do get distracted, because we will, wherever your mind has gone, whatever content it's brought up, lost in thought, whatever, it's very interesting that transition where first there's the moment where you realize you've been distracted. And then hopefully the next moment is something like, I wonder what loving kindness looks like now. Not, oh, I got to get back, you know, bring my puppy to mind or, you know, something. But, but the first thing, even, I mean, it's fine to, for the attention to go back to some image of somebody who's easy to love, right? That's part, that can be part of the practice. But even before that moment can be a moment of recognizing, oh, I've been distracted. Can I, whatever that's like for me in this moment, having been distracted, can I relate to this in a kind way, in a generous way, in a non-condemning way? And here's the real kicker. Ultimately, loving kindness, the very definition of that experience is the absence of aversion. And that's a much more useful, functional definition. The state, the mind state, the heart state, the attitude of loving-kindness, metta, karuna, when it has that flavor of compassion, mudita is the flavor of that appreciation, appreciating what's good, and upeka is equanimity, that beautiful, radiant balance, which is also an expression of love, like when I don't know what the heck's going on, I could still be present in a generous way. You know, it's not what we'd call friendly kindness, but it's that sort of radiant balance, like, I'm not afraid of the ambiguity or the confusion or the uncertainty. I could be generously here with this too. 
So those are the four flavors of love, as many of you know. And like I said, you know, just to notice when you do get distracted, just to take that moment, just to be okay, no aversion needed, no frustration about being distracted. Oh yeah, that's how it is sometimes. In a way, we're making room to be who we are in that moment, right? Hey, Robert, welcome. And that's the that's really the cool thing is that that love, this attitude of love, has that capacity to say, "Yeah, this too happens. You too belong." It's not necessarily what we want, but the heart has a way of making space for that too. So feel free to stretch or adjust and we'll get ready to do our guided practice now for maybe 35 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that. And of course, if you need to move during that time, that's okay. Just quietly stretch your body or adjust your posture. And of course, it's totally okay to use a chair. And we have blankets in the closet if you're a little cool. Those of you at home presumably have what you need to sit in a comfortable, upright way so you're not going to fall asleep, but at the same time the body feels supported and comfortable. The Buddha refers to metta practice, loving-kindness practice, as the heart's deliverance of goodness or goodwill. So what are we being delivered from? You know, aversive states, basically. So as we begin finding the appropriate posture, I like to begin really close at home, which means just recognizing there is this sitting body here, this breathing, sitting body. And as I was just saying, there are options, right, to be aversive or judgmental or neglectful of this body and how it feels right now. But there's also this capacity we all have to have a friendly, inclusive, kind, kindly attitude toward the body. And how do we know we have this capacity? Because we have a willingness or capacity to be close, just in the same way we would listen, fully show up with a good friend, well, in the same way we can listen or really show up, be willing to feel what's here to feel in the body the way it is right now. As if we were to say to the body, and you can repeat this phrase, I'm willing to feel what's here to feel because I care. I'm willing to be close and feel what's here to feel. It's almost like we're saying to the body, 
I'm not afraid of you. And I'm willing to be close. And not only that, I'm willing to wish well for this body. I'm willing to generate loving thoughts toward my body. May this body right here, may this body be safe and protected in all ways. And may real love and wisdom protect this body always. So you can repeat that. And again, may this body be safe and protected. And may wisdom and love protect this body always. May this body be happy and peaceful. And may this body live its life with ease, free from stress, free from suffering. And so you can see it's really helpful to have a phrase and something to keep in mind initially, because initially the mind is going to be all over the place. So we're gathering the energy around love by keeping in mind our dear friend, this body. Probably the most important relationship the heart will ever have is the mind or the heart's relationship with this body. So we tell it. I'm willing to be close, I'm not afraid. And I'm willing to wish well. May you be safe in all ways, and may the deepest wisdom and love protect you always. And may you be happy and peaceful, And may you live with ease, no matter the conditions, may you be at ease. As if you're talking directly to the body. May you be safe and protected, and may the deepest wisdom and love protect you always. And may this body know happiness and peace. And may this body live with ease, no matter the conditions, all the twists and turns, may you be at ease. And you can just continue on your own It's okay to change the phrases or drop them if you don't need them. But we're keeping the heart's relationship to the body in mind. We're feeling that goodness. 
with simple kindness, there's a kind of generosity of the heart that we can actually sense. So work on it on your own for a while. And you might move through several phrases like I shared, but it could be much more simple, just repeating a word directed to the body, something simple like ease, may you be at ease. Or it could be a silent inner smile toward the body, a generous smile. Not a real smile, but I mean, maybe a real smile, but just that inner sense of love shared with the body. And we can even appreciate the goodness of our own heart, our own mind, sensing the tender sensitivity of the heart right here, right in the middle. I care about my heart. Right now I care enough to be close, just to sense what's right here in the middle be close, and to be willing, even though it might seem weird, just to be willing to wish well. May this sensitive heart here be safe and protected in all ways, and may the deepest wisdom and love protect me always. May my heart be happy and peaceful, And may I be at ease, no matter the twists and turns of my life. May I always find ease. So something like that, or more simple, on your own now. In a way, we're talking directly to what's right here at the center, the sensitive heart, sensitive mind.
Perhaps you can sense that, maybe initially subtle, a subtle sense of generosity in the heart. Almost as if something is welling up, some simple goodness that is willing to stay close to the body and close to this life, this sensitive heart right here. And when there's enough of that generosity, it almost as if it spills over and you might naturally want to bring to mind a loved one, somebody easy to love, maybe somebody who's really been there for you in your life and it's just a natural sense of generosity toward that person. Could be a puppy, a cat, a dog, doesn't really matter, but just that sense of this goodness of the heart spreading outward. May you too be safe and protected in all ways. And may wisdom and love protect you. And may your heart be happy and peaceful. And may you take care of your life with ease. May you be at ease. So you can always go back to your body or to your own heart, but when you feel like it, start to bring to mind others. Whether you use words or phrases like I've shared, but you can do it silently too, just that mental image of a person and just feel that generosity to the heart, include them. Just that almost like a beautiful radiance of love shining out to your loved ones, different directions, including more and more. So just do the best you can and go back to the phrases if you feel like you need that support. That's why they're there, a skillful means to help us remember that this heart actually is capable of love of wishing well, being generous in this way.
So the first two steps again, when you've been lost for a while, you might need to arouse the attitude, the emotion of love, kindness. Then feel free to bring somebody to mind or yourself to mind. Just see if it's possible. It's kind of a confidence move. Do I care enough to be close or to wish well? And the next step is to actually feel that generosity, that upwelling in the heart. It's a real experience we can sense, the opening, the including, the generosity of the heart. You really get to know that opening, generous quality of the heart that shines out, radiates out in all directions. And then the third quality, when we get some momentum, is a sense of boundlessness, that the love we feel actually is willing to go everywhere. Even the difficult people in our lives or beings, creatures we don't even know, but may you be at ease too. So it's really generous and boundless and open, open-hearted. And then the last part is to learn to abide in that boundless, unconditional love. It's more about trusting and less about me doing it. We're just trusting the goodness to radiate in all directions. The heart free of all aversion right now. No aversion anywhere. So keep those four stages in mind as we continue to practice on our own, arousing with confidence that this heart can be loving, feeling the generous upwelling of that goodness, sensing that it can go everywhere, it's boundless, all-inclusive, and that I can rest and trust and abide in that goodness. So a sense of effortlessness, that's the fourth stage. So again, just continue on your own, bringing people to mind if you need that, or being all-inclusive if that's available for your heart right now. Loving in all directions, like a huge, generous smile, a beautiful light radiating out from the heart in all directions. Subtle, but really sublime.
and remembering that the practice can be really simple. So when you feel that the heart is good, the attitude is loving, not stingy in any way, then you might want to let go of any phrases you maybe were repeating or even bringing particular people to mind, because it might be that the heart is able to be all-inclusive, and that subtle, that beautiful goodness can simply radiate out, including our body, including our heart, including the whole world. Nobody left out. Without any need for thoughts, even. Just abiding in goodness all around, everywhere.
Learning how to keep this attitude of loving-kindness in mind. And using our imagination and language, phrases, as needed. But when that quality seems pretty clear and strong, then learning to relax with, abide in, really just trust that capacity for goodness, as if we're relating to the whole world with kindness. Nothing needs to be left out. May all beings, all things be at ease. The way the Buddha taught loving kindness, he used these phrases. I will abide pervading all quarters, what's in front of me, to the right, behind, to the left, above and below, all around, everywhere and every way. I will abide pervading all directions with love, with kindness, including to myself. I will abide the all-encompassing world with kindness, abundant, exalted, boundless, free from hostility and free from ill will. I will abide. This is our practice. Finding this attitude of kindness developing its strength so it feels we feel that generosity, that upwelling, that quality of boundlessness, and then learning to trust it and relax and abide.
And as best we can, we sense the safety, the trustworthiness of this attitude of kindness. It's healing to abide here. And if something comes up, some reaction, some fear, some doubt, some kind of negativity, and we practice having compassion and forgiveness and kindness towards that. Oh yeah, that's how it is sometimes. This kind of thought arises or this memory shows up and I care enough to be close and honest or real about how it is right now and to wish well for myself. May this body, this heart and mind be safe and protected. May the deepest wisdom and love protect me. May I find a way to be happy and at ease, to find ease with the conditions no matter how they are, and to be free from suffering in this uncertain world I live in. We care about this life. And just as I care about this life, I care about all lives. Those who are seen, all those who are unseen, unknown. Simple creatures, complicated creatures. People who are easy to love. People and creatures who are not so easy to love. May wisdom and love protect us all. May all beings find ease, be free from suffering and free from the causes of suffering. And may this goodness continue and increase and never end. Let's continue for a couple more minutes, resting, abiding, and loving kindness.
take a moment. Feel free to stretch your body out. You can stand if you want. Whatever you need to do to feel release tension, feel better. Good, so as some of you know, this is a time. We have a little bit more than 30 minutes to reflect together. I always say during these discussion times that um, whether we know it or not, you know, our, the basic wisdom function of the mind, what it does is it just connects the dots. So when we're in a irritating, uh, irritated, irritated mood, frustrated, angry, upset, what wisdom does, it's just basically through observation, well, how's that working for me? You know, like what does that set in motion? here in my own body and mind and in all the relationships, people around me. What is this way of being attitude? Same thing with kindness and all the flavors of love, compassion, appreciation, equanimity. What does it set in motion? So we've all been learning a lot about the various kinds of attitudes that we have you know, and just simplistically say, well, yeah, there's some skillful attitudes, like kindness, like the capacity to appreciate the good and beauty in others and in our world, to have equanimity and balance, to be forgiving, all these wholesome, and then we have the unwholesome. And so what have we been learning, right? This is a time for us to share together, like what have we been learning about attitudes? In, in Buddhist practice we say that are onward leading, so that when this attitude predominates for me during a part of a day, I see that just naturally everything starts to work better, you know, like the trace we leave behind, it's pretty clean, <laughs> we're not leaving devastation broken relationships and, you know, just the, so much of what we feel, the reason we don't like to just be quiet and peaceful is because we feel all the leftover business of our imperfect interactions with other human beings, right? It all gets layered down, these impressions, and we drag them around, all the unfinished business, all the pain that hasn't been acknowledged and felt and resolved, all the things we said that we wish we hadn't, and then, you know, all the stuff that happens to us from other people. In Buddhism, one of the expressions, the really important expressions of freedom is called freedom from remorse or the bliss of blamelessness. And you can see that cultivating this attitude of kindness is the great preventative from doing things that lead to a strong, heavy feeling of remorse. Because we have so much immunity when we're relating in the moment with kindness and compassion, appreciation and balance, equanimity. So any questions that people have about the practice that we did, it's really appropriate to want to clarify the instructions. As you probably sense, for those who are new, 
there's really room for a lot of creativity in the loving-kindness practice, but it does really follow these four steps, but there's a lot of creativity how you work with them, grosser to more subtle, finding ways to arouse the loving-kindness, like how are you going to, in this moment, sense with confidence, oh yeah, this mind, this heart, is capable of real, authentic, uncontrived kindness. How do I know? Because when I bring my cat to mind and picture myself holding my cat, that love I have for that beast is pretty pure, right? It's not conditional, it's not like a business relationship, I'll love you if you treat me this way. It's just, may you be well, or whatever words we put on it. But then, oh yeah, my heart is capable of good. There's no denying it. You know, you bring to mind an aunt who is really there for you in your life, or whoever you initially might bring to mind. It's usually an uncomplicated relationship where the love is really simple and pure. Could even be like a neighbor's kid that lives down the street. You don't even know, but you just have that unconditional goodwill for them. Like, I want nothing but good for you. And you sense that. Oh, look at that. That is unconditional goodness. It's not a business relationship. Like, we may love our partner, like if you're married or have a spouse, but it's often, there's this part of it that will be business-like. You know, you treat me this way and I'll treat you that way. Because they're complicated. Same with our siblings and good friends, you know. There's not that there isn't pure love there, but it's usually complicated. So when you want to arouse loving kindness, start where it's simple. Sometimes it's the simple person to start with is yourself. Where you just have a sense, yeah, I'm a human being in all its messiness. And I do care about myself. I care about this life. But for some people, that's not an easy place to start. So then find another way to start. Like I mentioned, a pet. Somebody, like a, we call it in Buddhism, a benefactor. Somebody who's really been there for you. Could even be a teacher. Your fourth grade teacher. You know, whatever. But once then, you, you kind of have a sense, yeah, there's some love here. Then see if you can notice that generous, that it's an actual sense of movement like the heart opening. That's why we have those phrases in English, open-hearted, right? But we can really feel it. And it even can feel like it's cracking open sometimes. Like if we've been closed-hearted for a while, you know, just things have been really rough in life and we've really fallen into a defensive stance. And we, when we do this practice, it might feel like that hardness is cracking open, but that's okay. That's a good cracking open. Oh, that's that general, that's that absence of stinginess. The heart is realizing that, yeah, I can include the whole body. I can even include these people in the room and I don't even know them well. You know? We're just sensing like love wants to include. That's actually the characteristic of that spiritual love. It's unconditioned by its very nature, as opposed to like, a particular kind of love. I, I love Cam because I know him and he's such a good guy. And you know, But it's really specific to the interactions I've had with that person or my cat. But 
we might use a person like that to remember that the heart loves, but then we notice the love independent of the person or the being that we use to arouse it. So that love is independent on the cat or this particular person. And we feel like, oh yeah, and that love has a nature of expanding and including. It's not afraid of the messiness, the imperfection of everyone. I don't pretend my cat is perfect, or my partner is perfect, or Cam is perfect. You know, it's like none of us are perfect, or my body's perfect. But I'm not tuning into how I think, how I can think my body betrayed me or my cat doesn't treat me the way I want to be treated, I'm keeping in mind, I do care about you, body, friend, cat, or whatever, right? Because it matters what we bring to mind and hold in mind. That's the arousing and really getting to that place where we can sense the generosity. And then we just follow the generosity, and that's that sense of boundlessness. And it's an actual meditation object, the boundlessness, no limits. We actually sense that. It's a subtle sense, right? But we can sense that that love shines out. We're really sensing directly the radiance and that nothing stops the radiance of goodness. Now, I'm using a lot of thoughts, but you don't need to have thoughts in your mind when you're doing this, right? And then once you have a sense that it really, that sense of boundlessness, that the love goes everywhere, then it's, then the last step is to learn to trust that, to, like, I, as a practitioner, don't have to imagine that I'm doing that. And the, and the way I prove that to myself is I relax, I abide, I trust. So instead of like, doing the loving-kindness practice, it's more like being love, relaxing in the love. Yeah, so let's uh, open it up. People online, you can just go ahead and raise your hand and unmute yourself. People in the room, just signal. Looks like Joe would like to get us started. Let me just turn the mic up here. Joe, go ahead. Uh, yes, hello. Um, I guess my... Question is kind of, uh, in general, you know, we're always taught in your classes and our other meditation practices to pay attention to our, our breathing. Um, when you start talking, you know, about paying attention to your heart or talking to your heart or, um, you know, kind of meditating around your heart, I, I guess I start noticing more my, um, my heartbeats and just wondering kind of, uh, I guess in general, is it, is it, to what extent is it okay to sort of uh, meditate on your heartbeat instead of your breath? Yeah. Well, of course, there are lots of different ways to meditate. So here, the actual object of awareness, you know, the meditation object is the arousing of the attitude of loving kindness, noticing its specific characteristic of generosity, not the thought of generosity, but actually, in a sense, energetically, that opening, generous quality of the heart. And I'm going to define heart in just a minute, then noticing boundlessness, and then trusting, like, 
dropping the sense of doing the loving and being the loving instead. So those are actually technically the four objects of awareness with this particular meditation practice. And so this is a wonderful complement to awareness practice, like awareness of the breath and awareness of other predominant qualities. Because when we're doing more of an awareness practice, it really helps to have done some loving-kindness practice because there's one of the essential ingredients of being aware of the breath, being aware of the body, or being aware of whatever's predominant in a given moment, like the awareness has a similar inclusive quality to it. But we're not really using the breath or the heartbeat. So when I talk about the heart, I'm really talking about the sense of what's right in the middle, right at the center of our experience. Not theoretically, you know, this image I have of myself as a body, what's at the center. But I'm talking about my subjective experience right now, and each of us, we can do this together. So do it in your own. Like, whatever your subjective experience is right now, what we sense in the middle the sensitivity, right? We sense that we're sensitive. What is it? Well, let's give that place that's sensitive. This We're sensitive to all of this, my experience, and that place, which is here and now, we call the heart. So in a way, the heart is just uh, synonymous with me or my body and mind. Because that's what this subjective experience is for me right now. It's, there's sensitivity. The heart is sensitive to this subjective experience I'm having. So when I say feel that radiance, that openness, that generosity to the heart, I'm noticing that part of this subjective experience is the sense, this attitude of inclusivity. Yes, this belongs. Yes, I don't have to be afraid. Yes, I don't have to divide. I don't have to push away. I don't have to bury. I can be in this place of sensitivity. Because that, like love, when, like if you bring to mind a classic image of love, like a grandmother toward a grandchild, a grandparent toward a grandchild, you know, there's uh, there's this, in that moment, there's that non-holding back, like, I'm willing to hold you, I'm willing to be with you, even if you're screaming or tantruming or saying you don't love granny or whatever, you know. It's like a, a, a wise grandparent is just going to be all in. Yeah, yeah, it's like this now. And it's okay, because sometimes grandkids are like this. And I'm not afraid. You know, this is, I mean, this is a good grandparent, <laughs> or a grandparent who's having a good moment, right? Because we're not always there. You know, sometimes, you know, honestly, <laughs> we want to put the kid in a room and shut the door and lock it, maybe, until they calm down or something like that. And sometimes that's actually, something like that might actually be helpful you know, the so-called timeout. But in any case, we want to uh, have a sense of the heart that expands, that includes, 
that we're talking about something in our subjective experience. So we always have to go from the concept, because I'm using words, concepts, to what that might mean actually in our subjective experience. And that isn't always an easy transition, but it's essential as a meditator, all of what you read and hear from teachers about meditation, no matter the particular kind of meditation, so whether you're doing a loving-kindness practice or an awareness-style practice or whatever, you have to go from the instructions, which are always going to be conceptual, and translate them into your subjective experience, direct, immediate, subjective experience. What do these words point to that's here and now, in the immediacy of my experience? So even the word awareness, or the word heart, or anything that you know we use, does that help, Joe? Uh, yeah, it's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for asking and getting us all started. What else comes to mind for folks? Questions or your own reflections, what you've been learning in your life that you are willing to share with the group? Anybody in the room here? Yeah, Robert. Do you want to sit up here, Robert, so they can see you and hear you, or do you want to use the handheld mic? I was kind of unraveling yesterday, and um, the thought I had was to uh, call a friend, a friend that you know, uh, Rick, who has been a really, really good friend for me over many years now. And I did that. I, I uh, texted him a message about getting together. We get together every so often for a cup, cup of coffee and, and just chat with each other. And it felt so good to feel that. I could do that. This friend is there for me, and I try to be there for him as well. And uh, it's just a really loving friendship. So, thank you. Yeah. And you see how something like that, you know, it's it's kind of nice because it's easy for for us to be, you know, when we did the meditation together, it's easy for us to kind of want to boohoo it, like, what's the big deal about loving kindness? But just that, just to kind of deconstruct the story that Robert gave us, the scenario of, you know, just struggling a little bit with her own mind, and then having the thought, like, because that's a brave, courageous thing. Like, if I can imagine this friend of mine loves me, then we have to hold the possibility that I'm lovable, right? Otherwise, we'll mistrust the thought, oh, this person cares about me, and we won't call them. But if we can get to that place where it's actually conceivable for me, because, you know, when we're in a difficult place, we don't look very lovable to ourselves. To ourselves. So to even imagine that someone really is there for me requires that we open, we find the heart that has room for me when I look like the way I look to myself right now, or my life appears the way that it appears to me right now. Oh, this is still lovable. This is, And this is really good for people that we might rightfully have a really difficult time 
with or rightfully really want to change their behavior because their behavior is really destructive, that we can do all that, take care of ourselves, protect ourselves from them, or if it's our responsibility, try to keep them from harming others or to force them to change their behavior. But do we need to throw them out of our heart to do that? And that's the, you know, because we think, I do, I can't, but do we really need to throw people out of our heart? And, you know, you can even use animals like, you know, we find we have a deer tick on us, or we go to South Dakota and bump into a rattlesnake. You know, we don't have to hate the rattlesnake, we just need to stay a safe distance away. And they're not the same, you know. Being safe when somebody is really inappropriate and protecting herself isn't the same as hating it. And it can be a real act of self-compassion to keep our distance, just like it can be a real beautiful act of self-love to call a friend like Robert was talking about. Oh yeah, I'm worthy of love. How do I know that? Because I do believe this person cares about me and I'm going to stick my neck out, because it is sticking your neck out to call someone like that. It's scary. Yeah, thanks, Robert. I don't know the name of the person who's raising their hand, iPhone person, but you can go ahead and unmute yourself. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you well. Thank you very much. I, uh, I was really, uh, resonated with the, the heart centeredness of, of the guided meditation that you were doing. Um, kind of similar to the, uh, varieties of awareness practice of the breath versus the heart and how you were kind of saying that it's a, it's a broader conception of how you, how you're, uh, reacting to the world around you. So I, I, I appreciated that. I was hoping that, uh, the notion of like spreading the meta beyond the self and the heart centeredness, how you would relate that with, uh, the dedication of merit, you know, at kind of at the conclusion of any practice. Yeah. Thanks so much. That's really great. And it's always nice to bring up that because I think it's something that people can incorporate in their lives pretty easily uh, and make it their own. And we do it often at the center, but maybe not often enough. But it's something to do at the end of a sit, at the end of the day, before you go to sleep, at the end of any... Basically, the timing is, whenever you have a sense that you've done something good in your life, then it's just, it's a nice spiritual reflex to dedicate the merit. And even though that might sound a little clunky, like what does that mean? And it is easy to kind of, kind of turn it into sort of some kind of transaction, like I'm going to get good karma, you know, and then I'll have this bank account of good karma. But basically, what, where that practice comes from is like we did our best for 35, 40 minutes to keep loving kindness in mind earlier in the evening together. 
And clearly, in the great scheme of things, that's a relatively wholesome thing for a human being to do for 40 minutes, you know, to come together like we've all come together and to keep, you know, obviously it's messy, but we do our best to keep that attitude of loving kindness and figure out what that attitude is and then keep it in mind and then tease out the extra doing so it's just more natural and unaffected, uncontrived, right? And then afterward, what's also really skillful to do is what this person is suggesting is to realize, well, that was a, you know, in the great scheme of things, that was a wholesome thing to be doing. And it has left, this is where the sharing of the merit comes from, we recognize I've been changed. Now, we're not saying that my life has radically been transformed, but right now, I'm the person who just did that nice thing for 40 minutes, that wholesome thing for 40 minutes. So I've been changed. I'm now the person who did it, as opposed to watching, watching senseless TV or doom-scrolling on the Internet or whatever else we might have been doing. And so we appreciate, like, in a little way, I'm different having done that. And whatever that goodness is, it's a really good thing to wish to wish to share it with others. So the traditional formulation, but you can be a little bit creative about this, is first you have to recognize, because this is counter-programming for some of us, where we only recognize the bad stuff we do, you know, less than what we wanted to do, you know. Yeah, sure, I did metta practice for 40 minutes, but it wasn't very good, right? But we, you know, so it really matters what you bring to mind. Yeah, but it was a noble attempt, and you did start over. And there was that moment where it felt really natural and, and radiant, right? You know, wow. And that goodness I wish to share. And even though my parents might have been imperfect parents, and maybe they're already dead, but may this goodness in my life somehow, and we don't have to know how, all we know is I want to share it. As if we have a spiritual bank account and I want to give it all away. Which just makes our spiritual bank account greater, <laughs> by the way. Right? Because it's a beautiful thing. May the goodness in my life somehow support my the people who raised me. However imperfect that was, they gave me this life. I'm trying to do something good with it. And I appreciate I have this life. My good friends, all my mentors, all my teachers. And you just... Imagine that whatever goodness there is in my life from the sit I just did or from general accumulated over my lifetime, may I give that away. And we just sense that that's also really good. So it's like a feedback loop, right? We're remembering the good we've done in our life. That's good. We're giving it away. That's good. We just have more to give away, right? And it just circulates in that way. Now the key is, when you do it, it should feel good. If it doesn't feel good, then, then reflect on how you can do it, tweak it, be creative, because it's just an act of generosity, and what we're giving away is the goodness in our life. It doesn't actually go anywhere. It's just, it's just a way to open the heart. And to, break down the, the, you know, that chronic sense of separation and being apart.
right? You know, and that's so conditioned in our minds that we're alone. It gets, it can be very compelling, right? That sense of alienation. So this practice, and you could do it, like I said, all the time. You let somebody in on the freeway, you know, and, you know, you see that they're trying to, you know, and you say, oh, that was a nice thing for me to do. May this goodness continue, may it increase, may it never end. Whatever goodness this is, may it benefit all beings, right? It can be something simple like that. You don't have to go through the whole formulation. But if you want some of the traditional formulations, you can just Google, you know, Buddhism sharing the merit, and then you'll see the the different ways to do that. But it basically has those components, bringing to mind something good in your life, and then remembering there's probably a lot more you're not bringing to mind, and then starting with people that you feel you want to support because of maybe some karmic obligation like your parents or your grandparents or whoever, people who've been there for you, and then just expand it. Yeah, may everybody benefit from the goodness of my life. May I always live and practice in a way that benefits all beings, right? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. We'll do it at the end tonight. That's a beautiful example. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. What else comes to mind? Thoughts, questions? Got a few minutes left. Yeah, Will. Okay, so I just, I want to start off saying that I don't I don't wish ill will on anyone, and I wish you know the best for everyone. Um, you were talking about layers a little bit, like layers of the heart and. Um, from this practice, what I notice is my heart kind of feels like one of those rubber band balls where it's like one thing on top of the next and it's, it's all, you know, it's all compounded tight. And I start to, I start to, I start to say, you know, um, w- wishing goodwill to myself, wishing to open my heart. And it kind of makes me want to cry. Um, and so I feel like that might be like, like an opening, but it feels also like it's, it's kind of so compounded that there, that there's like a lot more opening to do. Um, and, and then for, for some reason, it's kind of hard to bring someone to mind to, to, to wish specifically goodwill towards, but I do wish goodwill towards everybody and I want I want everybody to be at peace and be at ease um, but yeah I notice in my own self uh, that it's like a it's like a series of locks that I feel like maybe I'm taking a taking one at a time and maybe kind of cracking the shell but it's 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 just it feels like it's a long a longer process than and it kind of makes it hard to feel that that genuine outward radiance of love towards everything, I think, with with that going on. Yeah, I really appreciate your comments, Will. It's well said. It's, uh, it resonates as being true, general, you know, universally what you said. And uh, just an encouragement to, like, uh, like, we can knock on a door, like, will my heart, can my heart include... Can it be more open, more inclusive? 
but we have to be willing for the heart to say no. <laughs> you know, no, I can't go there, don't want to go there. So we just stay where the heart is willing to be friendly and loving and generous. And those locks that you talked about, they will unlock, but in their own time. And the key is not to force it, because demanding that love is inclusive is not love. It's a kind of aversion or a kind of greed. So we have to attune to the natural process of opening. And it's like natural. It's not you or me controlling it. And it will ebb and flow, and sometimes it will really open, and you won't know why. And it... it it will really match your aspiration that, yeah, I do want to love all beings. And sometimes you will naturally love all beings, and sometimes it won't. But, you know, even when the hate, the fear is really strong, we can have compassion for ourselves for being really afraid or really tight or really negative. Oh, I'm, ne you know, I just want to burn the house down. You know, when we're in that really difficult place, and uh, this is a really tight place. This really hurts. I don't feel safe, and I care about how much this hurts. I really care for this difficult state I'm in, and I'm willing to wish well for myself. May I find a way to be at ease with these difficult circumstances I'm in. May wisdom and love protect me. Right, so that's the real power, is that even when we're in a dark or difficult place, we want to remember, I think, I do believe that love can meet this. What would that look like when I feel like I'm feeling right now? What would an authentic expression of love, and it might be this self-compassion. Yeah, it isn't easy being a human being. It isn't easy having a mind, a conditioned mind, right? So in those times, and that's the obvious truth to us, ah, I care about this heart, this mind, this life. I care enough to do my best to be close, to be honest, to be patient, because I know it will change. So you just sort of talk to yourself, to the difficulty we're facing, but with loving kindness, with compassion. You know, so the, it's not even so much the words, it's the tone or the way we're relating to ourselves has that quality. Same thing if somebody that we're having a difficult time with or somebody we've got a lot of painful history with comes to mind and they're just there, you know. And, we, and so just to be honest, you know, hey, you scare me. You know, even the image of you, the memory of you scares me. I'm afraid, and that hurts. And I'm not going to try to send love to you. I'm going to take care of the fear that's just been evoked because you came to mind. Can I be okay with this? May I be safe with this strong reaction I have because I remembered this person, and we have a lot of unfinished business. And we just deal with ourselves. So we want to be careful not to be idealistic of thinking we can immediately or always go to that boundless, all-inclusive state. 
it's a beautiful aspiration. And even if we don't get there often, we probably, all of us have touched that space in moments. Especially in those moments when we're feeling a lot of personal love from someone, maybe yourself, but maybe from another. And then the heart just opens in that full way for a moment, maybe only a moment. But then we know it's possible, even when it closes back down and we're more in a more ordinary, needy place as a human being, but we have that impression that's been left, like, oh yeah, this heart loved unconditionally a moment ago. Well, that was cool. Maybe that's always possible and I could find my way back with patience, not forcing it, just trusting that process of arousing it, sensing the generosity, sensing the boundlessness, sensing that I can really relax and let love be love, not have to do the love. It's like being the love instead of doing it. Yeah, thanks, Will, for that powerful sharing. Appreciate your willingness to share. We have time for one more person. If there's anybody left who would like to share with the group or ask a question, anything you've been learning? Yeah, please, do you mind sitting up here? That's right. That's a generous thing, and people can hear you and see you, if that's okay. Sure. Got it? Yeah. Um, so I was thinking recently, I, I went down to Florida with my husband to see my in-laws, and they uh, irritate me. <laughs> is this recorded? It is online. <laughs> <laughs> and they're lovely people, but they, they irritate me. Um, and every time I go down and I just fixate and circle and circle on what they've said. And this time I really consciously was like, I'm not going to do that this time. And they irritated me <laughs> and I got, and I got angry and I, I talked about it and I, I made a comic about it. I'm a cartoonist. And then I just let it go. And I, I felt, I really tried to feel compassion for them and, and, and grateful that I don't share the traits and that my husband did not inherit certain traits. <laughs> <laughs> and it really allowed me to feel more love for them. And that was what was interesting is that it was obviously a better experience, but, but that I actually left feeling more part of their family. So that was kind of, it feels connected all this loving, loving kindness. Oh so, yeah, very yeah. much so. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And, you know, part of that, I don't know if you've, people have read, uh, Sylvia Borstein. She's a wonderful Buddhist teacher in our early Buddhist tradition and one of the founding teachers at Spirit Rock in, uh, Northern California, one of our motherships in this particular insight meditation lineage here in the West. But she has a simple phrase I love. It's like, well, we can always write another chapter. And this is the thing about we will get irritated. People will irritate. Even people we love. I mean, I'm sure it happens with you and your spouse. It certainly does with mine. You know, we irritate each other in moments. But, you know, it's not the last chapter. And then, you know, the next chapter may be a sense of humor about the irritation that we can maybe even share together. Like, yeah, it's not easy being a human being. And, you know, and as we get older, you know, being on the older side of things, um, it's like these personality traits get ossified, you know, and it's like we see like it's like our ancestral <laughs> baggage, you know, our parents and our grand. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that's picked that up. And, it, and 
some of that we can still change, you know, especially if we're if we kind of highlight it and care enough about it. But some of these personality tendencies are just gonna they're kind of hardwired almost at after a certain point. And lo- having a loving, forgiving, patient, you know, way to modify the damage they can do is all we can do, because. It isn't personal. It's still our responsibility to take care of our personalities, but it's not actually personal. Your in-laws or this personality, they just, we just picked it up in the conditioning process of life. And it's like this. This conditioned habit-bound mind is like this. Just like anybody's is like that. And it's really nice how you had a way just to keep working with it. There was some wisdom that understood that the irritation doesn't have to be the last thing, right? You kept at it. And you weren't afraid of it, too. That's the key about irritation, is to have a kind relationship. So even when we're acting out in, you know, in some way that isn't so 100% skillful, don't be afraid of it. Find a way to see it, to be with it that's skillful. Oh, yeah. I'm irritated, and sometimes it's like that, and I can be patient with it, and I can be forgiving, and I can be curious, and I can even see through it and see other possibilities, like, it's kind of funny, the way it is, you know, and there's things to be grateful for, like you said. So let's end our time tonight by sharing the merit, and just each of us just sense, like, having gotten ourselves to the program tonight, that was a beautiful thing make this choice. doesn't mean that other things wouldn't have been nice, but what a beautiful thing we did as a group of folks. Training our heart to keep in mind this capacity to be kind. It's a beautiful thing. And maybe remembering some moments of patience today or acts of generosity over the last week or so or other times we were fearless and did the right thing or apologized when it was hard to do or spoke truth to power when that was the right thing to do. Just having that sense of a lot of good has been done in this life, laid down impressions on our heart. And I appreciate all that goodness. I sense it. And may all the goodness in my life May it happily, may I happily offer it to my parents, wherever they may be. May it be a cause for safety and well-being. And all my mentors, all my teachers, all the dear ones in my life, my dear friends and family, colleagues at work, neighbors, may all beings without exception receive the blessings in my life. And may we always practice for the benefit of all beings. May our lives and practice be a cause for the deepest healing, the unshakable release of our hearts, awakening, and deep peace. May this be so. So thanks again for coming, everyone. Nice to practice together. I think most of you know that all the programs at the Center are offered freely. We ask that folks in their own way, in your situation, just come into relationship with the center in a way that makes sense, in a way that makes you happy. 
If you give too much, like if you give too much money, it won't feel good. Or if you volunteer too much time and you neglect other parts of your life, it won't feel good. In the same way, if you just don't come into relationship, that may not feel good too. So what actually makes you happy? And there's no right or wrong way. Everyone just has to find their way. If you have questions, just reach out to the center or talk to me. Um, and you can go online and people here, you know, there's a bowl if you want to contribute money or fill out a form on the shelf in the lobby if you want to volunteer at the center. A lot of what gets done here is done by volunteers. And uh, so Robin, our office manager, can help you find some way to contribute. So have a good week, everyone. Hope to see you down the road. And all those of you online, thanks for coming. Great to have you part of the program tonight. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.